All right, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. We're continuing our doctrinal study on Roman Catholicism. You'll remember last week we looked at the doctrines concerning Mary. We looked at six heretical doctrines of Mary. Uh, after the class last week, I had some people who've asked questions about, well, do Roman Catholics really believe Roman Catholic theology? And it's a good question, and I understand why people would ask the question. They ask the question because they have family, they have friends who are all Roman Catholics, and they can't imagine their family and their friends would actually believe some of this material. But I want to deal with it from a different angle. Do Roman Catholics have the gospel? Or put it another way, does the Roman Catholic Church teach the gospel? Well, if they're teaching the stuff that we learned last week about Mary, why would we imagine they teach the true gospel? And if the Roman Catholic Church doesn't teach the gospel, then the people in that church don't hear the gospel, they are not given the gospel, and without the gospel, they cannot be saved. They cannot come to know Christ. And even if you don't accept that, and you want to say, well, I don't think my Roman Catholic family members and friends believe this stuff, they, they could still be saved in the church. But you have to remember, they affirm these things with how they live. Just consider the, the Hail Mary, a prayer that Catholics pray on a regular basis. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. That last portion. Holy Mary, there's the Immaculate Conception. Mother of God, there's the Mother of God doctrine. Pray for us sinners. There's the Mediatrix of all grace. They affirm those teachings in their prayers that they pray on a regular basis. And again, what's the point? The point is, if you have family members and friends who are in the Catholic Church, you shouldn't dislike them, you shouldn't be angry at them. You should be giving them the gospel and telling them about Christ. All right? Let's move on to what we're going to look at today. Today we're going to be talking about the sacraments. The sacraments. This is a very big part of the Roman Catholic Church Every Roman Catholic has to participate in the sacraments. There are seven of them. Here are the seven. Baptism, penance, Eucharist, holy orders, confirmation, anointing of the sick, and matrimony. We do not have time this morning to cover all seven of these. So we're going to look at two of the big ones. Baptism and penance. And then next Sunday we'll come back and we will look at the Eucharist. Now, in order to understand the Eucharist, we'll also cover the next one, which is Holy Orders. Holy Orders deals with ordination, and you can't understand the Eucharist if you don't understand the ordination of priests. So we will cover at least four of these sacraments over the next two weeks. Now, before I get into the sacraments, I, I want to start by just having a general conversation about salvation and Rome's view of salvation. Historically, the Catholic Church has held, had the view, extra ecclesium nola zalos. Outside the church, there is no salvation. This has been the historic position of the Catholic Church 
going all the way back to Trent and, and further back. I think it goes back to the Fourth Lateran Council. This has been their teaching. If you are outside the Catholic Church, you are outside of salvation, and therefore you cannot be saved. The Catholic Catechism, basing itself on Scripture and tradition, the Council teaches that the Church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. The Councils have affirmed this, the Catholic Catechism affirms this, and the Popes, the various Popes, have affirmed this. Innocent III said, By the heart we believe, and by the mouth we confess, the one God, not of heretics, but the Holy Roman Catholic Apostolic Church, outside which... That, oh, outside which we believe that no one is saved. Clement VI, no man of the wayfarers outside the faith of this church and outside the obedience of the Pope of Rome can finally be saved. Boniface VIII, in his bull Unum Sanctum, said, If therefore the Greeks or others say that they were not entrusted to Peter and to his successors, of necessity let them confess they are not of the sheep of Christ. If you are outside the Roman Catholic Church, in their view, historically, you are outside of salvation and you cannot be saved. The reason they affirm this, the reason they say this, is because of the sacraments. Sacraments are considered to be necessary means of salvation. If you don't have the sacraments, you cannot be saved. The Council of Trent said, If anyone shall say that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary unto salvation, but superfluous, and that without them men through faith alone obtain of God the grace of justification, though all the sacraments be not necessary for every individual, let him be anathema. The sacraments, according to the Roman Catholic Church, are necessary for salvation. And if you do not have the sacraments, you cannot have salvation. Also notice about the middle of the, cent- middle of the paragraph, men through faith alone obtain the grace of God of justification. If you say that you can be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you are anathematized. You are condemned to hell. That's the gospel. The Council of Trent anathematizes the preaching of the gospel. You have to have the Catholic Church and you have to have the sacraments in order for you to be saved. The Catholic Catechism, the Church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the New Covenant are necessary for salvation. This isn't just the Council of Trent. The Catechism of the Catholic Church that is affirmed today says you must have the sacraments. Dr. Ludwig Ott then explains what it means to be necessary. This will be helpful. He says, necessary means that unless one uses the defined means, one cannot achieve a certain purpose. The sacraments are a means of achieving a purpose. They are the means by which you accomplish a goal. What is that goal? Dr. Ott continues, sacraments are the means appointed by God for the attainment of eternal salvation. Sacraments are the means by which you obtain salvation. And when you hear that, then you kind of understand why they would say this. There is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. 
because it is the Catholic Church that has the sacraments, only an ordained priest in the Catholic Church can administer the sacraments. Therefore, if you don't have the sacraments and the sacraments are necessary, you can't be saved. Which means the only way to be saved is if you're inside the Catholic Church. Catholic Catechism again. It is, however, particularly worthy of remark that although all the sacraments possess a divine and admirable efficacy, yet all do not possess equal necessity or dignity, nor is the significancy of all one and the same. What it's saying here is that, yes, we have seven sacraments, and they are all necessary to an extent. But some are more necessary than others. And here's that list again of the seven sacraments. The three that they say are absolutely necessary are baptism, penance, and holy orders. Baptism is necessary for the individual, and penance is necessary for the baptized individual. Holy orders is necessary for the church in general, because without the priesthood, none of the sacraments could happen. The Catholic Catechism again, the purpose of the sacraments is to sanctify men, to build up the body of Christ, and finally to give worship to God. They not only presuppose faith, but by words and objects they also nourish, strengthen, and express it. That is why they are called sacraments of faith. A couple things. First, the purpose of the sacraments is to sanctify you. The purpose of sacraments is to sanctify The Catholic Church does not view sanctification occurring by the preaching of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit working in and through His Word to transform lives. That's not their view of sanctification. Men are sanctified through the sacraments. Also notice, they not only presuppose faith, but by words and objects they also nourish, strengthen, and express it. Sacraments are not magical pills that you just kind of swallow. You know, an atheist walks into the Catholic Church and participates in the sacraments, and now he's on his way to heaven. That's not their view. Faith is necessary. Faith is just not sufficient. You need faith, but faith by itself won't get you there. You have to participate in these sacraments, in these works. The Catholic Catechism. The sacraments are perceptible signs, words, and actions accessible to our human nature. The sacraments are signs of grace. And by signs, they mean something that we can see, that we can understand, that they are visual, auditory illustrations of grace. It's God condescending down so we can understand him. But they are not only signs, they confer grace. They distribute grace. The Catholic Catechism, by the action of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, they make present efficaciously the grace that they signify. If you want the grace of God and salvation, it's not a matter of you just believing on Christ and trusting in Christ. That's not enough. You have to believe on Christ and participate in sacraments in order for you to receive that grace. George Grinty in his article, The Power of the Sacrament, says this, Sacraments are means to obtain grace and to maintain our union with God. They are at one and the same time symbols and sources of grace. They represent it and they produce it. The sacraments are a means of receiving 
God's grace. The Catholic Catechism, an efficacious sign of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us through the Holy Spirit. That last line, divine life is dispensed to us through the Holy Spirit. What does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds like sanctification. Uh, Excuse me. That sounds like regeneration. Because it is. Now, how do the sacraments work? How does this happen? How does this transfer of grace occur? It occurs ex opere operata, which means through the working of the work. And as I said before, faith is necessary. This is not a magical pill. But it is through the working of the sacrament, through the physical act of going through the sacrament, that grace is dispensed to the recipient. The Council of Trent said this, if anyone shall say that by faith, excuse me, uh, said, if anyone shall say that by the sacraments of the new law, grace is not conferred through the act performed, but that faith alone in the divine promise suffices for obtaining grace, let him be anathema. They cursed anyone who said that grace is conferred by some other means other than the working of the sacrament. If you say that grace is not conferred through the act performed, you're cursed. If you say that grace is dispensed through faith alone, you're cursed. If you preach the gospel, you're cursed. You're damned. Father Richard P. McBride, we heard from him in our first class. Here's what he said. What the Council of Trent was trying to safeguard was the basic truth that the grace of the sacraments is caused not by human forces, but by God acting in and through Christ and the church. So in the Catholic view, they say, yes, grace is dispensed by the working of the work, However, it is God who is working through the sacrament to dispense that grace. Father McBride again, it is not the personal merit of the recipient that causes the grace received. It's not because you're so good and wonderful that you receive grace, but it is because of the work performed. Faith is necessary, but so is the sacrament and you working and doing that sacrament. Okay, let's look at the very first sacrament that a Catholic is supposed to go through. Baptism. This is a very important sacrament. (laughs) A lot occurs in the sacrament of baptism, and I just want to give you some of the ways that it's discussed and spoken of. Baptism is the door of life, one author said. Another one said, men are born into the divine life. The sacramental grace of baptism is thus a a grace to be born again in Christ in a new mode of existence. Regeneration occurs through the sacrament of baptism. You are born again. This is the entrance into the Christian life. This is the point where you become a Catholic, so to speak. That you enter into not only the divine life, but you enter into the church. The Catholic Catechism says, Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life. The gateway to life in the Spirit, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Entry into the Catholic Church begins at baptism, whether you're a a baby or you're an adult. 
if you have not been baptized, you cannot receive the other sacraments. And at baptism, you are regenerated. You are made a new creature. George Grinty again says, Baptism destroys in us what St. Paul calls the old man, the son of wrath, the victim of original sin, which remits for us definitely. Even if before its reception, adults have committed personal sins of which they repent, baptism brings them pardon. It is baptism that the Catholic Church says removes the stain of original sin, the guilt that you inherit from Adam, it is through baptism that is washed away. If you are baptized in as, as an adult, baptism also removes all of your personal sin. You are clean, you are pure, you are unstained, you are a new creature empowered to live a holy life. Didn't work for me. Okay. <laughs> the Catholic Catechism discusses baptism removing original sin. Here's what it says. While receiving the holy baptism that cleansed us, the forgiveness we received then was so full and complete that there remained in us absolutely nothing left to Ephesus. Neither original sin nor offenses committed by our own will, nor was there, any, was there left any penalty to suffer in order to expiate them. All of your sin is removed by going through the act of baptism. And this you have to ask, what about babies? You know, babies, you know, they said it's done by faith, but babies don't have faith. They don't understand faith. They, they can't have faith. So if, if the sacrament requires faith, how are babies going to be cleansed by the sacrament? It's not a magical pill. Well, they say it happens by their parents. Their parents have faith, therefore the child receives the grace through the sacrament. But baptism doesn't just regenerate someone. It doesn't just make them a new creature. It also justifies the Catholic Catechism. The grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us, that is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and through baptism. Just enough truth to deceive you. Notice it says that you are justified, i.e. cleansed from our sins and having the righteousness of God imputed to you. And they even say, through faith in Jesus Christ. And they put it in quotes. And then they had, and through baptism. You need the faith, and then you need to have the baptism. That's another gospel. Council of Trent, the instrumental cause of justification, moreover, is the sacrament of baptism, which is the sacrament of faith, without which justification never befell any man. It is impossible in the Catholic view to be justified until you are baptized. You know, in the biblical view, you are justified when God declares you to be righteous. In their view, you cannot be declared righteous unless you are actually righteous. And therefore, baptism cleanses you and makes you righteous and justifies you. And therefore, God can actually say you are righteous. 
and it's done through baptism. In order to make that work, they actually have to redefine baptism, uh, excuse me, they have to redefine justification to make that work. Here's what the Catholic Catechism, how the Catholic Catechism defines justification. Justification is a translation from that state in which man is born a child of the first Adam into the state of grace and of the adoption of the sons of God through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Justification, in their view, is not the biblical idea of having God declare you to be righteous on the basis of what Christ has done. Justification, in their view, is you being moved from being a child of Adam to being a child of God. The Council of Trent says justification is not merely the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man through the voluntary reception of the grace gifts whereby man from unjust becomes just. Justification has been redefined as being both being made righteous and being sanctified which they've kind of lumped together into one. They've taken justification and sanctification, and they've made them both one thing, and said you are justified and sanctified all through the act of baptism. What does baptism accomplish? First, it removes original sin and all guilt of committed sin, i.e. you're justified and you are sanctified through the act of baptism. Secondly, baptism empowers you to live a holy life. That one gets me every time. I I was baptized as a child, and it didn't help me live a holy life. Okay, let's do a biblical response here. As I said before, justification in Scripture is always um, used in one way. It means to declare righteous. The Greek word there means to declare righteous. It, it pictures God sitting as a judge in a courtroom, looking upon a convicted criminal and declaring him righteous, not because he is righteous, but because God has declared him to be righteous. And of course, we know that is done because of the work of Christ. Secondly, justification in Scripture is always a divine act. Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Justification is never accomplished through the works of men. It's never accomplished through some ritual or ceremony. God justifies the ungodly. He justifies those who are sinful. And that's the next one. God justifies the ungodly. Romans 4.3 For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was not a righteous guy. He wasn't some saint. He was a pagan. His father was a pagan. They were idolaters. And they were very good at being idolaters. And yet, he was justified by faith. And Romans 4 actually goes a long way into saying he wasn't justified because he was obedient. He wasn't justified because he was circumcised. He was justified before that. And he was justified by the sovereign decree of God, declared to be righteous. Justification also is always the result of faith. It is not the result of some sacrament or some work that you do. Romans 
3, verse 26. For the, demo- for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is faith in Christ that brings about the declaration of God that you are righteous. He makes that declaration not on what you not on the basis of what you are or what you have done. He makes that declaration on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And that is the only reason he justifies because Christ is righteous and Christ took our guilt and he paid for it on the cross. Romans 3:26 For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's really clear. You're not justified on the basis of your works. And it doesn't matter if you want to say, well, those works of the law specifically refer to the uh, law of Moses. Well, what other law would there be? That's the divine law. And God is saying, look, you can't get there by following my law, and you're certainly not going to get there by following the code of canon law from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church also says that Baptism saves us, that we are justified and regenerated through baptism. And they'll point to verses like Mark 16, 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And you read that and you're like, wow, that doesn't sound so good. Maybe it's true. Yeah, here's the problem. Um, There's an ellipsis at the end of that. Because... That's actually only half the verse. But when you read the verse in context, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Notice it does not say he who has not been baptized shall be condemned. The one who has not believed will be condemned, which means you can believe and not be baptized and still go to heaven. I don't think you can be obedient as a Christian to believe and not be baptized, but you can believe and still go to heaven. We have a case of that thief on the cross. But baptism is not a part of justification. It's not a part of salvation. It's a part of your proclamation of what you are now in Christ, that you have been saved, and now you're going to proclaim it to the world. Or they'll point to Acts 22, verse 16. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And the Catholic Church will say, look, see, you get baptized to wash away your sin. Yeah, um, in the Greek, there's two imperatives, two commands here. And they are get up and be baptized. And there are two participles here. The first one is wash away your sin. And the second one is calling on his name. So if you were to translate this a little bit differently, you lump those two together, you put the imperatives together and participles together, here's what it sounds like. Rising up, be baptized, and wash away your sins by calling on his name. How is... The washing of your sins accomplished? It's accomplished by calling on his name, not on being baptized. Now, 
That's baptism. Baptism is absolutely necessary for the individual. That's what they say. You cannot be justified without baptism. But once you get baptized, you're sure to commit another sin. And that's when you need the sacrament of penance. Penance. Now, in order to understand the sacrament, we have to stop for a few minutes because the Catholic Church has created two different kinds of sin. Mortal and venial sin. And I have to discuss what these are so you know what they are. Okay? What is a venial sin? Here it is. We commit a venial sin whenever we transgress a commandment of God, either in a matter which is not so serious or without full knowledge or without full consent of the will. For example, example, deliberate distraction at prayer, petty thievery, idleness, white lies, lack of love, and generosity in small things, etc., Basically, a venial sin is a sin that you commit without full intention. You don't intend to do it. You didn't plan it out. It just kind of happened. And I read that, and I'm like, okay, petty thievery. I'm pretty sure the Ten Commandments just said, don't steal. It didn't say, like, one kind of stealing is okay, but another kind is not as bad and... Or white lies. There, there's no such thing as a white lie in Scripture. You're either telling the truth or you're not. But again, the, the, the key distinction here is it's not with full knowledge. You don't know you're doing it or you're not intending to sin. And then there's a mortal sin. We commit a mortal sin when we transgress a commandment of God in a serious manner with full knowledge and free consent of the will Serious matter is, for example, unbelief, hatred of our neighbor, adultery, serious theft, murder, etc. A mortal sin is a sin that you commit with full knowledge, you know what you're doing is wrong, you know it's sinful, and yet you do it anyway. Venial sins can be forgiven, can be removed by you simply going to God and confessing your sin to God directly. Mortal sin, however, is not that way. Mortal sin must be confessed to a priest in the church. Mortal sin is said to remove you from the state of grace that you were placed in when you were baptized. Mortal sin removes the grace of justification. When you commit a mortal sin after being baptized, you are no longer justified, and now you need to be re-justified. The Council of Trent says this, But those who, who through sin have fallen away from the received grace of justification may again be justified when God exciting them through the sacrament of penance by the merit of Christ shall have obtained the recovery of of the grace lost. When you commit a mortal sin, you lose the grace of justification. You are no longer justified. And by going through the sacrament of penance, you can receive that grace back and become justified again. The Catholic Catechism, those who approach the sacrament of penance obtain pardon from God's mercy for the offense committed against him and are at the same time reconciled with the church which they have wounded by their sins and which by charity, by example, and by prayer labors for their conversion. You need to go and confess your sin to a priest, one, so you can receive pardon from God, but secondly, you also need to receive reconciliation to the church 
who you have offended and grieved with your sin. Now, they will be quick to tell you that it is God who forgives sin. But they say that God forgives sin through the church. And if you don't go through the church, you cannot be forgiven. This is going back to our discussion in our first class when we talked about the power of binding and loosing that was apparently given to Peter. That's where this is going. Okay. The Code of Canon Law says this about confession. In hearing confessions, the priest is to remember that he is equally a judge and a physician and has been established by God as a minister of divine justice and mercy so that he has regard for the divine honor and the salvation of souls. So the priest hears confessions and he is to hear them not as a pastor, not as a minister necessarily. He is to hear them as a judge. What is he there to judge? Why is he a judge? Is he judging whether or not they actually sin? He is judging their penitence. He is judging whether or not they are truly sorry for what they have done. The Code of Canon Law, again, says this. If the confessor has no doubt about the disposition of the penitent and the penitent seeks absolution, absolution is to be neither refused nor deferred. So if you go in and you confess your sins and the priest says, yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're truly penitent. You're truly sorry for your sins. He is, to res- he is to grant you absolution for your sins. He is not to delay or defer. He is not to refuse to absolve you. He must give absolution. What is absolution? Absolution means to be set free, to release from the consequences of guilt. The Council of Trent. The Holy Synod furthermore teaches that the form of the sacrament of penance in which its force chiefly consists is placed in those words of the minister, I absolve thee. Absolution, forgiveness of your sin, the removal of the consequence of your sin, is obtained through the sacrament and through the priest granting you absolution. This is a judicial act. This is an act of a judge declaring you to be free of the guilt. The Council of Trent. If anyone shall say that the sacramental absolution of the priest is not a judicial act, but a bare ministry of pronouncing and declaring sins to be remitted unto him who confesses, let him be anathema. If you say that when you go in to speak to the priest, the priest is only declaring what God has already said about you, you're anathematized, you're cursed. If you say the priest is just acting as a minister and he's just telling you what God has already said in his word, you're cursed. You have to affirm that this is a judicial act, that the priest is absolving you, and he is standing in the place of God pronouncing absolution for you as a judicial act. They also have a distinction not only between mortal and venial sins, they also make a distinction in punishments. There are temporal punishments and there are eternal punishments. Eternal punishments can be remitted through the sacrament of baptism, or excuse me, through the sacraments, baptism and penance. You can get rid of those and those can be forgiven. But God cannot forgive temporal punishments or punishments that occur here in this life as a result of your sin. 
And so you need to do acts of penance to pay for, to expiate those punishments. Catholic Catechism. Raised up from sin, the sinner must still recover his full spiritual health by doing something more to make amends for the sin. He must make satisfaction for or expiate his sins. This satisfaction is also called penance. If you want to receive full forgiveness and have all of your sins washed away and all the temporal punishments removed, you have to do some acts of penance that will remove those temporal punishments. The Catholic Catechism again. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still and perfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter into heaven. If you die and you have not expiated all of your temporal punishments, you still cannot get into heaven. You have to go and you have to go to purgatory and have those punishments burned off so you can be fully purified. How you can die in God's grace and friendship and still need to be purified again? I mean, I, I don't know how they can say that. That, that just boggles my mind. Now, the priest is the one who is to determine how much of a penance you need to pay. How bad your sin is. The Catholic Catechism, the priest shall enjoin salutary and fitting satisfactions according to the quality of the crimes and the ability of the penance. So he has to look at all the sins that you have committed, and he has to determine what kind of penance would be sufficient for overcoming those kinds of punishments. And he has to give something that's fitting not only for your sin, but also for your own ability. So, you know, a little kid comes in there, it's probably not going to be the same as a full-grown man goes in there. The Catechism again. It can consist of prayer, an offering, works of mercy, service of neighbor, voluntary self-denial, sacrifices, and above all, patient acceptance of the cross we must bear. Such penances help configure us to Christ, who alone expiated our sins once for all. They allow us to become co-heirs with the risen Christ, provided we suffer with him. It just gets me. That first they say you have to expiate part of it, and now they're saying Christ did it all once and for all. Okay, so yeah, they, they can offer they can, you can go in there and you can do prayers, you can do voluntary work. Uh, these are acts of penance that apparently help remove temporal punishments. Again, let's, let's do a biblical response. In Scripture, confession is always made directly to God. We never have a case of someone who's going and confessing to a priest or to a pastor to receive absolution. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Catholic Church also says that only the church can forgive sin. Only the church. Remember back in our first class when we talked about the authority of the church and the hierarchy, and they said the apostles received the direct authority to forgive sin. That authority was then passed on to the bishops of the church, the successors of the apostles, and only they have that authority. But in John 20, verse 33, it says, If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Here's the problem. Jesus was talking to more than just the apostles. He was talking to other people. 
And by the way, this is not Jesus saying you have the power to absolve people and give them forgiveness. That's not what he's saying here. Just look at how he said it. If you forgive the sins of any, we'll do this in English, if you forgive their sins, present tense, their sins have been forgiven. Past tense, or in the Greek, perfect tense. Completed, done. If you retain the sins of any, present tense, their sins have been, past tense, or in the Greek, perfect tense, have been retained. Here's what this is saying. The church has some authority here, and it deals with forgiveness of sin. But their authority is merely to affirm what God has already said. God has already declared whether or not a person is or is not forgiven. All the church is doing is just affirming what God has said. Catholic Church says you must make satisfaction for your sins. But Colossians 2 says Christ made satisfaction. Colossians 2 verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All the transgressions have been removed. Everything that was blocking and hindering your relationship with God has been removed. So in the Catholic faith, in the Catholic Church, baptism is necessary for you to be justified. If you commit a mortal sin, you'll lose the grace of justification, you'll fall out of the grace of God, and you have to regain, re-earn that justification through sacrament, the sacrament of penance and doing acts of penance. And if you do it enough, you can go directly to heaven. But if you don't do it enough, then you have to go to purgatory for some time and have it burned off. These are the sacraments that the Catholic Church say are necessary for you to be saved. And these are the sacraments that caused the Catholic Church for, their his, for all their history to say that outside the Catholic Church there is no salvation. With that in mind, I want to show you a little bit about Vatican II. And I want to go back to Rome's view of salvation. And this idea that outside the church there is no salvation. This was the historic position of the church. You have to be in the church, you have to participate in the sacraments, otherwise you cannot be saved. Vatican II was a major change. Remember Dr. Ludwig Ott said, the necessity for belonging to the church is not merely a necessity of precept, but also a necessity of means. In special circumstances, namely in the case of invincible ignorance, or of incapability, actual membership of the church can be replaced by the desire for the same. So Dr. Ott was writing just a few years before Vatican II. And even then, there was this idea in Catholicism that if you were invincibly ignorant, if you just didn't know any better, you could still be saved. Or if you knew better but had no way to get to the church, you could be saved. Vatican II then came out and said this, But even in spite of them, it remains true that all who have been justified by faith and baptism are members of Christ's body and have a right to be called Christian 
and so are correctly accepted as brothers by the children of the Catholic Church. You see, it used to be that Protestants were considered schismatics and heretics, and when you left the Catholic Church, you were done. You were on your way to hell. Vatican II turned around and said, no, 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 no. Protestants are not on their way to hell. If they were raised in that tradition, and if they were baptized as children in that tradition, they were baptized into Christ, and, and they're still Christian. So it did change that, and they did that for ecumenical reasons. They wanted to try to reunite everybody and get everybody back under their authority and back into the Catholic Church. And so you'll see a lot of ecumenicism, this idea that we're all in it together, you know, Protestants and Catholics together. There was a statement in the 90s, evangelicals and Catholics together. The Lutherans had a joint statement on justification. There's this big push to get Protestants and Catholics to affirm one another as Christian. But Vatican II went further than that. They didn't just say that people who confess Christ and who are baptized as Christians, they are saved. They went further and said that people who reject Christ can also be saved. Vatican II. But the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. In the first place amongst these, there are the Mohammedans, who, prof who professing to hold the faith of Abraham along with us, adore the one and merciful God, who on the last day will judge mankind. The Christian God is a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. The God of Islam is not. We do not worship the same God. But, let's just deal with what they said here. The plan of salvation includes those who acknowledge the Creator. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The plan of salvation includes those who have come to faith in Christ. Vatican II. Those who can attain to salvation, who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Christ or His church, yet sincerely seek God and move by God grace, strive by their deeds to do his will as it is known to them through the dictates of conscience. You are not commanded to obey your conscience. You're commanded to obey scripture. And what they're essentially saying is that people who don't know Christ, who don't have Christ, who don't know the gospel, can still be saved because God would never allow them to go to hell. So what's the point of the Great Commission? With that in mind, you've seen how they've distorted the gospel and they've added works to faith and said if you don't participate in these sacraments, you cannot be saved. You've seen how the Council of Trent anathematized the gospel and cursed and damned anybody who dared preach salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. And now you've seen how they've expanded the realm of salvation even to those who reject Christ and say, well, they have good intention, and they have a, a sincere heart, and therefore they're also on their way to heaven. What makes us think that our Catholic family members and friends are re receiving and hearing and believing the gospel? Why would we believe for a moment that that church is going to tell them the truth about the gospel? And why would we believe for a moment that people who are willing to sit in a church that teaches this are actually Christian? When their church damns the gospel. I don't want you to hate Catholics. I just want you to give them the gospel. Because they need it. 